I have to confess that I kind of half stole the title from my message of a, a book that Andrew Murray wrote uh, uh, probably over 100, about 100 years ago, a little over that, called what? Verse 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to, <clears throat> to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, hey, don't bother me. Doors locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friends, friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up, give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? pray with me. Father, we worship and, and, and exalt you, the name that is above all names, the king that is above all kings, who is, who was, who is to come, the almighty. We worship you not because we are somehow worthy to be your worshipers, but because you have made us children we worship you not because we um, never never forget that you're in charge and we are not we worship you because you made us to be worshipers and because you are the most important and beautiful and glorious being in the universe you made us to worship you if we're honest, we'll admit that we are uh, sometimes far better worshipers of other things never meant to be worshipped. We worship other people. We worship what they think about us. We worship objects, toys, um, even good things. We, we, we worship um, where we're going to be in 10 years or what we're going to do or what we're going to have. And yet you are alone to be worshipped. Even our praying, Lord, betrays sometimes our 
confusion about what it is we're to worship. And my prayer this morning is that by the Spirit of God, you would speak to each of us about this matter called prayer that honestly, some of us can't figure out what to do with it. Honestly, we don't know how to relate to someone that we can't see and that we can't hear from. Honestly, we fall asleep at times when we pray. And honestly, we don't understand your instructions for prayer when it seems like they are null and void at times based on what we do or don't get out of prayer. Now, our enemy, who goes about like a roaring lion seeking to devour us, is perfectly fine with this state of affairs. He's fine if we don't pray. He's fine if we pray simply by rote. He's fine if we never get around to praying about the important things. He's fine if we don't believe that prayer works. He's fine if we are consumed with temporal things to pray about. He's even fine if we worship you as long as it doesn't mean anything in our hearts. And so we pray this morning that he would not have any impact on our lives and that instead the spirit would gallop through our souls and hearts and reignite a passion, not just for prayer, but for the God to whom we pray to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, they weren't just saying, we want you to give us um, uh, instructions along the way. They were asking for a community prayer like John the Baptist had given his disciples. When our children were growing up, um, they would often say at mealtime, God is great, God is good, and we thank you for our food by your hands. We are fed. Give us, Lord, this daily bread. Any of your kids do that? That's a community prayer. That's a formal prayer. These are the kinds of things that we teach children. We learn them ourselves. Even the Lord's Prayer that we're talking about this morning, we sometimes pray back to God as a community prayer. And that's what Jesus' disciples were going for. Now, they were prompted to do this because they saw Jesus praying so often as he was here again. In fact, the writer, gospel writer Luke records more praying of Jesus than any of the other gospel writers. In fact, it shows him praying sometimes all through the night. Wouldn't it be interesting for us to testify how many of us prayed, have prayed all through the night? I mean, we, we've done that a number of times here um, over Easter time. We've invited people to come and pray till four in the morning. And, and man, it is, I mean, I'm, I'm gone by midnight this age. Jesus praying all through the night. Isn't it interesting that the Son of God, the God come in the flesh, is praying and praying so much. And so Jesus' disciples came to him asking him to give this kind of, kind of exclusive insider group prayer for them. And instead of Jesus giving them a, a, a formula or a prescribed prayer, he gives them this pattern for prayer. Now, J.I. Packer said this. J.I. was one of the great um, theologians of uh, uh, last generation. He's still alive, but he's in his 90s. 
But this is profound. He says, prayer is the spiritual measure of men and women in a way that nothing else is. Think about that. He's talking about believers. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this applies to you. Prayer is the spiritual measure. In other words, like a tape measure, an evaluator. Spiritual measure of men and women in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. As important question as we can ever face. And I want to look at this passage this morning. We're going to look at the prayer first that Jesus gave and then his kind of elaboration on that. Look at the prayer, uh, verses 1 to 4, talking about seeking the Father. And then verses 5 through 13, talking about the Father seeking you or seeking us. Now Jesus starts out with this prayer. And you can look in Matthew and see a, a greater elaboration of this prayer. There's some things included in that that Luke doesn't record, but we're going to just focus on this mainly. And the first thing that Jesus is conveying to us that, that God wants us, those who follow Christ, God wants us to seek his face. Seek his face. You remember that song? I think we just sang it last week. The line goes like this. Oh, forgive us, Lord, for seeking your hand and not your face. And how many times is it easy for us to begin to go to God in prayer and everything is about seeking his hand, what he has in his hand for us instead of seeking his face. You think about the praying you did this week. Was, did you primarily seek or did begin by seeking God's face or did you begin by seeking his hand? Lord, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. I've shared before how the message series I preached, I think it was early last year on prayer, has been life-changing in my life. Um, um, it, it, a new day dawned in my own prayer life. Some of it was from scripture and some of it was from some books that I used uh, during that time. And this one was by far the most impacting for me and uh, suggested to you again, Transforming Prayer by Daniel Henderson. And the subtitle is How Everything Changes When You Seek God's Face. And what he teaches on in here is, is worship-based praying rather than request-based praying. Now, he's not at all opposed to us asking God for things, requesting God for uh, for things the scripture tells us that we should go to him for everything pray about everything paul says in philippians 4 pray about everything but what daniel's trying to promote and i think is uh, reflected in the biblical prayers uh you look at the prayers through the bible i have a, a book on my shelf that has all the prayers of the bible fascinating book far more prayers there than we have any idea how often they begin with worship and so it's the, it's the idea that our praying is, is not exclusively worship, but it's anchored in worship. It begins with worship. And over and over again, you're going to see these prayers in the scripture begin with worship. And so if Jesus begins with this prayer, he's, he's, uh, this pattern that he's trying to teach to his, his followers, begin with worship. Our Father, Father, may your name be kept holy. Now, this is preoccupied with God and his glory and his character. He's not yet moved into asking for this, that, or the other thing. It's, it's all about you, God. And the first thing, Father, recognizing the relationship between the prayer and him. Father, may your name be kept holy. That's even more important to me than that I get bread today. Or it's even more important for me than, than that you reconcile this human relationship that's broken. 
I want your name to be kept holy and honored as holy by me and by the people around me and by my church, by this world. Now, the group that I meet with on Monday nights, uh, Jesus is Everything, we've been talking about last week uh, or the week before about God's holiness. And if you're to go through the scriptures and read what the Bible says about God, what he's like, his attributes, his characteristics, you'd find maybe 18, 19, 20 uh, characteristics depending how you uh, categorize them. And we know, for example, that God is love. That's, that's one thing that marks him. We know that he is merciful. That marks him. But... Um, also grace and God's wrath is an attribute and God's jealousy for his glory and for his people. Uh, all kinds of things the scriptures tell up us about God. But the overarching thing that holds all of those attributes together is his holiness. And the Bible says over and over and over that God is holy. Now, if I were to ask you, what does holy mean to you? You might say what well, means to be right, to be morally perfect. That's especially what God is speaking about when he says in Exodus and then 1 Peter uh, 1 as well. He says to us, be holy even as I am holy. In other words, the follower should, should the son should reflect the father. The follower should reflect the one we're following. Be holy because I am holy. But holiness doesn't just mean moral perfection doing the right thing and not doing the bad thing. Holiness means to be set apart, to be, as one teacher taught me 30 years ago, to be other. God is other than we are. We are made in his image, but he is other than we are. He's distinct from us. We're not little gods. And so this jealousy for God's, God's holiness it's, it's a desire that he would be honored by the world and by this church and by those who know him and love him as the holy God. And when we look at the gospel, we see the manifestation of God's holiness in a, in, a, in a clear way that nothing else shows us his holiness. God was able by virtue of his, what he did with Christ to satisfy his holiness. See, if God cheated in any way and just gave us righteousness even though we're not righteous he wouldn't be holy if god violated his justice and failed to punish sinners like me he wouldn't remain holy if god just cheated and said okay i'm going to just give you this grace even though your sin requires blood i'm just going to give you grace anyway i'm going to save you anyway he wouldn't have remained holy then the gospel god married his justice and his mercy and his grace and he had his son pay the penalty that was rightfully due you and me and you see this preoccupation with, with Jesus and his, his father's dignity and his father's greatness and his father's holiness. Worship-based praying. We start out by recognizing the one that we're worshiping, the one that we're praying to. Now, I don't think in any way either Daniel or Jesus is saying, okay, all of your praying needs to be worship. But that's where it starts. When I sit down in the mornings uh, to spend my time with the Lord, I open up the scripture. This is another piece of how this book has influenced me. I pray as I read scripture. I used to read scripture and then I'd pray. Now I pray as I read scripture. And this is what I'll say before I start reading scripture. I'll say something to Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take your words, which are the scripture's words, take your words and speak to me 
and that, that he would prompt me to speak back to you so we have this conversation this morning. I pray that you would help me to worship you and to praise and give you thanks. That's all under one heading as I pray. And then to convict me so that I might repent and confess sins that scriptures revealed to me. And then I might intercede. In other words, I need the spirit to direct all of that. And brothers and sisters, you need the Holy Spirit to direct all of that as well. I think so easy, it's, it's easy to get in our studies, easy to get by our bedsides, and we have our list, you know, and then I'm going to do this and pray this and go here and go there, and then I'm done and on, on my way. What if God has something for you to pray about that morning that's not on your list? In fact, what if all the things God wants you to pray about that, smor- that morning are not on your list? See, when we start with God, we follow through with God, and we end with God, and he becomes, he becomes really the prayer in the sense that he's guiding prayer. But we start with, start with him. We first seek his face. And then Jesus goes on and says, then we seek his hand. May your kingdom come soon is really an acknowledgement that God is ultimately king. We desire to have him running the show fully. When Jesus came, the kingdom began, but it's not here fully. The day's going to come when Jesus returns, going to set up his kingdom, and, and his kingdom is going to be exercised in a complete and a thorough way. This is the prayer of the early church when they would say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long to see your full kingdom come. So we first seek his face, and then we seek his hand. Give us each day the food we need. Give us each day the food we need. Now, if I were to ask you today, sit down after the service with you, and I ask you, what needs do you have in your life? What would you tell me? If I were to ask you, what physical needs do you have in your life? And by physical, I don't just that you need food. Is it that you need a, a, need, um, uh, a partner to go through life with? Is it that you need a, um, a broken rate relationship mended? What are the needs that you have because you live in this world? What would you say? And then my follow-up question would be, do you pray about those needs? Or do you simply wish or do you simply long for you simply desire. Do you go to God? Listen, God, God's never, ever too busy for any of that stuff. In fact, God longs to, for us to see him more and more as the provider rather than all of the other things around us. How many of us work so hard to get the things we want financially? How many of us uh, go to all the professionals that are out there that can provide this, that, or the other thing, and maybe even forget that God is always on call and always eager to hear from us, pull up a chair with us. I, I don't know if this, uh, your physician does this or not, but mine now does this. If I'm going to talk with him about more than one issue, I have to get two appointments or three appointments. Is that happening in your doctor's? offices so busy i found out last year that my doctor is serving about three times as many patients as he's supposed to be serving they can't find doctors you call in and try to get an appointment you might get an appointment two months from now now if it's an emergency they'll find a way to work you in but typically you're not going to get in very soon you don't have to do that with god do you know that 
always on call. You ring him up, and you're not going to get, I'm sorry, the office is closed right now. Please leave your number and a name, and we'll get back to you next year. None of that. And that despite the fact that your God is administering the lives of seven and a half billion people overseeing the cosmos so that uh, galaxies don't collide in each other and planets don't collide and that even your climate doesn't get screwed up enough so that it's gonna, you're going to get destroyed. This is the God that you serve. You can go to him at any time about anything. The Bible tells us that God takes care of the animals. God takes care of the birds. In a couple weeks, uh, one of my sons and one of my grandsons and I, were going to go out deer hunting. You know the reason that they're going to be deer there, at least we hope there will be, is because through the winter and so forth, God has been providing them with acorns and laurel and browse and other things to keep them alive. All over the scripture, it says that God feeds the wild animals. Psalm 147, 9, just one example. God feeds the wild animals. He feeds the young ravens when they cry. And then Jesus says in in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 26, he says, he's again talking about how God takes care of the wild things. And then he says, and you are so much more valuable than those things. So much more valuable. Do you realize that you have a status that is is superior to deer and to trout and to ravens and to lilies? And because of that superior status, if Jesus says, look, if he takes care of birds and he takes care of flowers, he's going to take care of you too. hungry person's prayer there's nothing too trite that you need or even that you want that you can't go to God about now Jesus continues on not only do hungry people or needy people pray sinners pray he says verse 4 and forgive us our sins Jesus is telling us here that sinners can go to God Forgive us our sins. You know the greatest need you have in your life is still to be forgiven of your sins. Think about that. All those other needs that we have, it's not that God's minimizing them, but all of those needs will one day evaporate, whether they're met or not. And the greatest need anybody, listen, if you're not a Christian here this morning, listen to this. The greatest need you have in your life is not to have a thick portfolio. It is to have a savior. Because the greatest condemnation in your life is your estrangement from a holy God who made you because of your sin. And the only possible way to have that sin taken care of is for you to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't reform your life so well that that gets solved. You can't fix your... um, morality up well enough so that it could solve you can't make amends for all the wrongs you've done in the past well enough so that that can be solved the only way that you can solve a sin problem 
The only way you can have forgiveness is to trust Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus here is speaking, however, to people who are also saved. Now, one of the great questions that Christians ask sometimes is if Jesus, by my virtue of my repentance and faith in him, Jesus takes away all of my sins or he, he pays the penalty for all my sins, past, present, and future, why in the world do I need to keep asking God for forgiveness? If you have a son or a daughter who breaks your favorite vase or tells you, even worse, tells you, I hate you, Anybody ever had a child do that to you? If you haven't yet, it's coming. Or does some other, breaks some other rule of the household or in some way um, transgresses in a way that breaks your heart. Do you, do you cast that child out of your family? On the other hand, is there a difference in your relationship with that child if they come to you and repent and ask your forgiveness versus if they continue on willfully, you know they don't feel bad at all about what they've done. They, they're not concerned about how you feel about what they've done. Is there a difference in your relationship? Absolutely. Still your son, still your daughter, but there's a broken relationship there. Right now there's a broken relationship that requires repentance and asking forgiveness. And that's what God's looking for for us. I don't know about you, but I, I have had times in my life where I'm, I'm adrift from God and I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm clinging to my sin. And, and there's an estrangement that you can almost feel physically. And conversely, when you go to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me, I I acknowledge I've been such a bonehead. I, I've been seeking my own way instead of yours. I've been longing for the things that you say will kill me. Please forgive me. And the restoration of that relationship, the sweetness of the fellowship that is once again restored. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Oh, and by the way, he says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In fact, Jesus goes so far in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 to say, if you do not forgive your brother or sister their sins against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Again, he's not talking about condemnation. He's talking about that broken relationship of fellowship between you and the Father can't go by this this morning without having you and me do a little soul searching and say, am I living an unforgiving life toward this person, that person? And it may be somebody that has done you um, wrong in a way that, well, you would say it's unforgivable. It's too big. It's too, the wound is too deep. It was too hurtful. Listen, there's a reason Jesus connected here the forgiveness of our sins with the forgiveness of other people's sins. Has anyone actually done anything to you that is worse than what you have done to Christ? 
is the treasury of that person's sin or sins against you bigger than the treasury of all your life's sins against a holy God? Because after all, the person who has sinned against you, they are unholy and you are unholy. But when you and I sin against God, that's an unholy person sinning against a holy God. And so the magnitude of the offense is that much greater. Now, can you still justify refusing to forgive? And I don't care whether it's your dad or your mom. And maybe they've done some horrific things to you. I don't care whether it's a spouse or an ex-spouse who've done some unspeakable things against you and they've dragged your name through the mud. Or a former friend who's spread lies about you. Or someone who's cheated on you. That's an unholy person sinning against an unholy person, but you and I are unholy people who have sinned against a holy God. And so Jesus marries the two. Ask your father for forgiveness as you forgive others. Is there somebody, is there someone that the Spirit of God is saying to you, you need to forgive. You may not need to live with them again. You may not need to be friends with them again, but you need to let it go. And to, as the scripture says, forgive as God has in Christ forgiven you. And don't let us yield to temptation. It's interesting. It's interesting how much Jesus comes back to in this passage that is about spiritual needs. Do we pray about physical needs? Yes. But the priority in the biblical prayers is always spiritual. Don't let us yield to temptation, Father. Don't let us yield to temptation. Now I need to race through verses 5 to 13. Let's talk about the Father seeking you. He's, Jesus is saying prayer is us seeking the Father. But then he goes on to tell this story and to make some principles from it, essentially saying, look, the Father is seeking you. He wants to bless you in prayer. He tells the story about this man who, who gets a visit in the middle of the night from a friend. And in the Middle East, hospitality is everything. And so he wants to be able to feel, feed this friend who's been traveling for a while. But he doesn't have enough food. So he goes to his neighbor, midnight, asks him to share some bread so they can feed this traveler. Now, just like you and I would do in the middle of the night, getting our doorbell rung by a supposed friend, like, dude, we're asleep. Go away. Let's talk in the morning. Family's in bed. And Jesus says, this guy's determined. He keeps knocking, keeps knocking. Let me, let me in. I need some bread to feed this man. And Jesus says, even though friendship won't prod him to get up and give him bread, he wants the man to go away enough so he can get a night's sleep. That persistence will make the man get up, giving the bread so that this friend can be on his way to feed his other friend. And Jesus goes on to, to compare this to our praying. And he says, ask, seek, knock. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And the NLT does a great job of translating the essence of the Greek here. It says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Now, there, there are some pieces of this story that don't seem to add up, right? Because he goes on to speak about how much God loves us. And like, really? First of all, is God like that? You have to beat the door down, even, and friendship doesn't drive him. He just wants to get rid of you. Don't be careful about how you read stories, in, especially in the Gospels. They usually have a single point, not 20 points to them. So, for example, you get to Luke 16, and you're about the Jesus comparing the unjust, sinful steward to God. You conclude that, oh, God's like that. No, no, no. He's trying to make a point, not a lot of points. Same way here. And he's, he's comparing this friend who gets up and gives him food to a God who seeks that we persist in prayer. And you and I live in a 21st century America. We are accustomed to everything fast, right? Right now. And we can't figure out why in the world God wouldn't move quickly when we come to him with our urgent needs. If you have... Amazon Prime, you make an order today, you get it how many days? Two. Man, I, I love Amazon Prime. Just signed up for it a couple months ago. It's great. I didn't do it for a long time because most of the stuff I get from Amazon comes in two, three days anyway. But We make an order. We decide we want something. We make an order and we got to have it now. And that's true whether it's a, a new pen, new computer, new car. What now? But I wonder if I asked you, if you're like me, a little bit out of shape, a little too much weight, if I asked you if you could resurrect or recreate your body in two days, do you think that's possible? You'd like to. And that's the reason that these ads get your attention when they say, lose 10 pounds in five days. Ooh. We had been away with friends earlier in the week, and one of the curses of that time is that we just eat and eat and eat and eat. I came back waddling. And Friday, I was out on my bicycle. I got a new bike uh, about three weeks ago, and it's making me ride a lot more and a lot further than I used to ride. I put about 100 miles in the first three weeks. And so Friday, I went out, and I rode 13 miles, and I weighed myself before I left. And I weighed myself when I got back. And I said, hey, honey, I dropped a pound and a half in 13 miles. And then I ate it back on that night. You, you, you see, God is far more like the trainer at your gym than he is Amazon. You and I want things like that. God realizes that oftentimes when we get things like that, it, it doesn't really bear good kinds of fruit. And he knows that if we want to have good health, 
That means working out on the weight machines again and again and again. That means changing the diet over a long period of time. It's not just about dropping a pound and a half in 13 miles. And God, God's not only your heavenly father who loves you, he's also your trainer. And he's going to make a man, he's going to make a woman out of you by virtue of the fact that sometimes you have to go to him for months and years and years. And Jesus wants to make sure we, we, we understand that doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. There's a reason that most moms and dads are wise enough, enough not to give their kids too much stuff and too much money. Too soon. Because things that are oftentimes asked for and sought and received in a short amount of time, the, the, the appreciation, the understanding of, of the, the goodness of the gift or maybe even the, the, the problem with the gift, it, does, doesn't, it doesn't accompany the gift. Parents who give their kids a lot of stuff and when they're young, there are problems oftentimes later in life. And you know, really, at the end of the day, God wants me and he wants you, he wants all of us to be satisfied, if we must be, just with him. Just with him. That's why worship-based praying is diff so different from request-based praying. Jesus goes on to say, don't mistake that delay in answering for a lack of love. Look, human fathers, your child asks you for something good, you're going to give him a scorpion, you're going to give him a snake? No. <laughs> and you human fathers are sinful. God's not. And if you, if you human fathers know how to give your children good gifts, how much more your heavenly father who is not sinful knows how to give you good gifts. So maybe sometimes when you're not getting the good gift and it's never going to come to you, you have to conclude, oh, maybe my father knows is not a good gift. I think it would be, but he knows better. It's true that God doesn't give us everything we want. And some passages like this make us scratch our heads and say, am I missing something? Don't I have enough faith? Have I not used the formula just right? Oh, brothers and sisters, don't get, don't, don't listen to people that teach you. You've got to say things a certain way and do things a certain way or, or God won't give you this, he won't give you that. Prayer is a manifestation of a relationship. My wife's not going to deprive me of something because I ask for it the wrong way or on the wrong day. God's a, a, a God who loves his children with an everlasting love. But he knows what's best for us. And so the Apostle John can say in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, that if you ask anything of God, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked from him. But that according to his will, don't miss that. 
God's going to protect you sometimes from things you shouldn't have. And even the suffering that we go through, there's, we need to re- recapture a theology, a biblical theology of suffering, that God brings suffering in our lives, not because he hates us, but because he loves us, and it is purifying. There was a dad that was working on a project one evening, and his son wanted to play ball. His son's about eight or nine years old, and kept pestering dad. Ready, ready now, Dad? No, no, I, I gotta get, gotta get this done. Ten minutes later, you ready, Dad? Now, Dad? No, I'm not finished with this project yet. Finally, after the third request, Dad got up. He said, "I'm not going to get anything done till I give this kid something to do while I finish." So he takes a page of the newspaper, and it had a full size. Uh, the whole page was taken up with a picture of the world, and Dad tore that page up into pieces and he gave it to his son and he said there here's a roll of scotch tape put that picture back together and by the time you do I'll be done with my project and be ready to play ball well it didn't work out quite like that because in about four minutes the boy was back had it all taped together and dad scratching his head he's like you don't you don't know geography you don't know the countries of the world how did you pull that off And the little boy flipped the paper over and he said, see, Dad, on the other side is a picture of a man. And once I got the man right, I got the world right. You see, when, when you get the man right, the world around you starts to make sense. And maybe if your prayer life is such that you're like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't feel like God's there is answering. Maybe you've got the world wrong because the man's wrong. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We don't always understand you. But we sure are grateful for Jesus. We sure are grateful for the hope that we have in him. We are grateful that by his sacrifice, we are able to become sons and daughters of the living God. And as such, have access to your fortunes. We're also grateful, although it's hard to articulate this sometimes, that you see the good from the better and the better from the best. And sometimes you say no to what seems to be good to us or what seems to be better. And I don't think that we can develop the kind of trust that says, I don't understand, but I'm good with what you decide until we look more and more into your face and see the glory of one who satisfied all the requirements of his holiness and his justice, as well as his mercy, grace, and love by punishing his son for a bum like me. And so my prayer would be that in our praying, the man would become more and more obvious and more and more glorious so that the world makes more and more sense. 
Jesus' name. Amen.